Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. Hey, we're in our, our second week of our series, Out of the Ruins, a study of the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to be jumping back into it. Last week, we talked about how even in the middle of our disappointments and pain and issues, we believe our God is a promise-keeping God. Amen? He's a God who is faithful to do what he said he was going to do, no matter how bad things get, no matter how messed up things are. We have hope that our God can make something beautiful out of the ruins of our life. We believe it. We trust him. And we hold on to those promises that he's given us. And today, we finished up chapter one last week. We're jumping into the beginning of chapter two this week. And I want to speak to you about even out of the ruins, God makes a way. Even out of the ruins, God makes a way. God, do you know that he's always creating opportunities in our lives for, for us to partner with him, for, for him to move in our lives, but, but our challenge, our responsibility is to take a hold of those opportunities? Do you know that? That God is always working and he's always moving in our lives, but our responsibility is to be a people who take hold of the things that he's created for us and make them our own. This is what God is doing. Do you know that Opportunities are all around us, but sometimes we don't, ever, we don't seize every single one of them. I know in my life I've not always seized every opportunity that God has created for me. I don't know about you. Have you always seized the opportunities God has, has ever made for you? We, opportunities are all around us. I know that I've missed some, but there was one time when I know that uh, Faith and I we were living in Sacramento and we were trying to get out of debt because of a man named Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey and his Financial Peace University, we have that class going on here. Do I have any FPU people in the house today? Whoop, whoop, getting out of debt. Anyway, we were trying to get out of debt, and we were in Sacramento, and I was thinking, man, we need to find a way to, to make more income, sell more things to, so that we don't have debt anymore. We're trying to get rid of it. And uh, in Sacramento, I had a couple of pastor friends. I was on staff, full-time uh, pastor there in Sacramento, and I had some pastor friends who were saying, hey, there's this new thing called Lyft and Uber. And man, we recommend that you drive. It can be around your schedule. You can make things happen. And it's a great opportunity to have a little extra income. And this was before Lyft and Uber had ever exploded yet. This is about uh, three, four years ago at this point. And, um, and in Sacramento, there was a hot market on Friday nights and Saturdays. And I thought, that's a perfect time. I can go out and drive and make some extra money. But it was scared because I didn't know Sacramento. I didn't know it at all. That's where faith is from. But I was just a country boy. You know, it's like, uh, I only know half mile roads, okay? That's all I know. And so if you start giving me other roads beyond that, I'm kind of uh, lost. And so but I thought, you know what? I'll take the risk and see, see if there's going to be a reward in it. So I signed up. It was easy enough. That was back when there wasn't a whole lot of drivers. It wasn't saturated. And so they were giving out bonuses for just doing like 10 rides. You got $250 check and all of these things. I was like, I'm about to make some money. And so then I started to drive around. And it was the only times I could drive was late Friday night and early into Saturday morning, like 2, 3 in the morning, and then go back out Saturday night and then make sure I got back in time to be rested for church. And so that's when I did that. But I don't know about you if you've ever been in the Sacramento scene or, or anywhere, but that's usually when people are going to the clubs and then when people are leaving the clubs. And so I had a lot of uh, encounters with people that I wasn't normally running around with in life. And so uh, it was risky. Can I say that? Did I have somebody throw up in my car? Yes, I did. But was I prepared? Yes, I was. There were trash bags in the back. 
Did I have on my very first ride a group of guys offer me heroin and a good time? Yes, I did. Did I partake? No, I did not. Thank you. Amen. That's right. So thank you, Jesus. Did I have a, a group of guys ask me if I had my Glock just in, t- in case things got a little sketchy? Yes, I did. And no, I did not, but I did not tell them that. I said, don't you worry about it. Don't you worry. I can't show you if I had one. It would be illegal. And I didn't have one. But there were sketchy times, man. It was crazy. But I took this opportunity, and we began to get out of debt. I began to make some money. There was one time, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this to condone intoxication or make light of, of people with drinking problems, but I did pick up a few guys who had, might have been had a little bit more to drink than they should have. And uh, one guy... He said, hey, man, it was 2 in the morning, and there was a 24-hour Taco Bell. And he's like, I want to go to Taco Bell. I'm starving. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll take you there. And he spent like $45 at Taco Bell. That, how many of you know that, that means he's, he bought the entire menu twice over? <laughs> he just did. And then he said, you have to eat tacos with me. I can't eat by myself. And so, yes, I took the sacrifice, and I ate some tacos at like 3 in the morning with this stranger. So it was scary. But it also gave me opportunity not only to get out of debt, but I got to witness to a lot of people. Because they always ask me, do you do this for your regular job or what do you do for your regular job? And I happen to be a pastor. So I said, I'm actually a pastor at this church. How many of you know their language cleaned up real quick after that? <laughs> They're like, son of a uh, uh, bing, bang, boom. You know, it was just like everything else changed. But even as I was taking them to the clubs, I got to witness to them about Jesus before they got a little too intoxicated to be able to listen to me. I got to pray for a lot of people. I prayed for a lot of people's families, for themselves, for hurting situations. And it would have happened if I had said, no, I don't feel comfortable with that. I said, God, I think you're going to provide for us. This is an opportunity. And I jumped at the opportunity. It was crazy. But it was fun. And it was one of the funnest things that uh, me and several pastors on our staff did. I actually had one of our pastor friends, he called me. That same night I was eating Taco Bell at 3 in the morning with a stranger. He called me and said, man, things are crazy. These guys I picked up, three guys, they started fist fighting in my car on the freeway. And he, drive, he was driving a, a stick shift, and they bumped it into neutral at like 75 miles an hour. And they punched him in the back of the head. <laughs> Thanks for laughing, Dad. I'm going to tell him you, said, you laughed at that. He got punched. He's a big man, and they didn't do it on purpose, but he pulled over on the freeway and threw them all out of his car in the middle of the freeway. Oh, man. Uh, Pastor Nick, if you're listening, I love you, buddy. And that's such a great story. I wish it was mine, but also not because um, those guys were punching each other in the face. It was fun, though. We had a lot of fun. It was a great time, but we seized an opportunity. And God had given me this opportunity to get out of debt. That was my initial goal, but I was able to pray for a lot of hurting people and invite a lot of people to church. Taking this opportunity was, was crazy for me, but it was helpful. And I believe that God is creating opportunities all around us, but we just have to be bold enough to take hold of them. We have to be brave enough to say, I'm willing to take the risk. I'm willing to be a little scared or uncomfortable if this is an avenue that God is creating in my life to, to seize an opportunity. We have to be willing to take those risks when we know that God is calling us to it. I knew that God was calling us to be out of debt, and so I, I took that opportunity and seized it. Last week, we talked about taking hold of the promises of God, 
living by the promises of God. In the midst of disappointment, in the midst of pain, we hold on to those promises, right? But those promises aren't for us just to hold on to, but to do something with them. This is a, there's a saying that I didn't create, but I love it, that, that says that God didn't just save us from something, but he saved us for something. He saved us from darkness and death and sin, and, but he saved us for something, to do something for him and with him in the world. This is what we're called to do as believers. And God did that through Nehemiah. God created an opportunity for Nehemiah to be a part of his plan to restore the walls of Jerusalem and restore the people of God back to the land that God had given to them. And I believe that God is creating opportunities for us, for you and I to partner in his plan to restore the people who are lost back to him. I believe you and I are supposed to be active participants in what God is calling uh, this world to, a back to a reconciled relationship with him. You and I are to be a part of that. But how do we take hold of those opportunities that God gives us? How do we do it? That's our question this morning. How do we take hold of these opportunities? Looking back at Nehemiah, he found himself in a perfect place to be used by God. If you weren't here last week, Nehemiah, he was a Jew who had been in captivity all of his life. It had been up to 70 years at this point that the city was destroyed. And, and he was a foreigner in a foreign land as the cupbearer to the king of Persia, who was the most powerful man in the world at that time. And he had received a word back from his brothers that Jerusalem was still in ruins after being destroyed. And after hearing these devastating things, he turned to God and prayed and remembered the promises of God. And it was in prayer, it was in prayer that God prompted him to approach the king. We know this because after he said in, ver- in chapter 1, that he had been turning to God and fasting in prayer for days. At the end of that, in verse 11, he said, God, grant me favor with this man. He was talking about the king. It was in prayer that God began to prompt him that he was supposed to do something about this situation. Prayer was the signifier for him. That's when God began to speak to him. But he didn't know when it was going to happen, and he didn't know how it was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen, though. He knew something had to happen. And so we look at, Chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, and I took the, the cup of wine and gave it to the king because he was the king's cupbearer. Now I, had been, now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Seeing you are not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Before we continue, can I pray? Can we pray together? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would open up our hearts to receive your word today. That God, you would speak directly to us, God, that you are creating opportunities for us to partner with you. And I pray, Jesus, that as we seek you, you would reveal to our hearts what you're wanting us to do as your people, as followers of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. See, God was creating an opportunity for Nehemiah. But in the midst of his opportunity, the king notices something about him. In the midst of that opportunity, what comes with it? Fear. Fear always follows opportunity. Have you ever been there in your life? You knew there was something that's going to be happening. You're excited to be a part of it. It's a great opportunity for you, but you're afraid of what might happen if you failed. 
You're afraid if things fell apart, if you fell on your face. I remember in high school or in, uh, yeah, in high school I was playing baseball and I never got to play very much. I like to blame my coach for that, but I actually looking back, I just figured I wasn't that good. But he put me in. We're in a tournament. He says, I need you to get a hit. I get up to bat. It's a great opportunity to show my skill. I was a great hitter, believe it or not. There's no tapes to verify. So I get up to bat. This is my chance. But I was afraid. I was afraid. A great opportunity matched with fear. This happens a lot for us. Our chance to show up what we got. But will I fall on my face? That day, I fell on my face. But anyway, let's continue on past that because I don't need to look at me striking out in high school. But that was a horrible (laughs) illustration. No, it's really what happened. I don't want to make up a story for you that I hit a home run or something. I wish I did. Anyway, I didn't get to play another three games. This is what happened. (laughs) Lord, bring healing to my heart. (laughs) But fear matches opportunity. It's always there. This is what happens for us. And Nehemiah, he's serving the king and the most powerful person in the world at that time. And he noticed that Nehemiah was sad. And before you say, well, what a sweet king. He he is so observant. He is such a nice guy, that King Artaxerxes. Can I tell you something? No, he wasn't a nice guy. And he wasn't just being observant. The month of Nisan that he talks about this time being is what they referred, the Persians referred to as the month of happiness. Because it was actually between our March and April, it was when flowers began to bloom. It was began when the, wa- the, the weather became nice again and people were cheery and, and people were in high spirits. And in, in that moment, Nehemiah walks into the king's presence sad. And do you know in that time, if anybody walked into the presence of the king and the king wasn't sad, but they were, it was an insult to the king because they're saying, the king can't even make me happy. And he could have taken him out in that moment and had him killed. And Nehemiah, when he realizes he sees that I'm sad, that's why he was afraid. He was not only afraid in front of the presence of the king, but he was afraid and supposed to be the happiest month of the year. And he's, he's terrified. This opportunity that God has given him is also coupled with fear. And the king notices it. And he asks him, why are you sad? But Nehemiah was doing something that confronted this fear. The Bible tells us that Nehemiah had been praying and fasting before the Lord at least for four months. Because in chapter 1, it talks about in the month of Chislev, which is about November or December, our month, and now it's, it's March, April. So at least four months, he's been praying and fasting before the Lord about this burden that's on his heart. And it's, he's still carrying it after four months because he's not seen the solution that he's hoping for. He's still praying, God, will you, will you find a solution? Will you rebuild Jerusalem? How will you do it? I don't know. But God, you can do it. And he's praying and he's fasting and he's holding on to that burden. Has, have you ever had a burden so bad like that that it burned in your heart day and night for something or for someone and you didn't release it because you felt the burden still on you every day and you begin to cry out to God? This is where Nehemiah was. And, in, and when he was confronted with this opportunity and this fear, he knew this is my moment. This is my chance. This is what God has been preparing me for in my prayer time when I've been seeking him and asking for God to move. This is what God 
was doing. Do you know that prayer prepares our hearts and helps us overcome fear? This is what happened in Nehemiah's experience. Prayer prepared his heart, and even in the midst of the fear, it overcame it because he knew what God was calling him to do. Praying to God about our disappointments and our pain and our desires and our wants and our needs does something to us. It does something inside of us. Not only does it move the heart of God for the things that we're asking for and praying for, but it also prepares our hearts for God to do something inside of us. Prayer is also that time when God places His desires in our hearts, and it's where we receive our boldness to act as God's calling us to. Prayer is a powerful thing. It's not something that we just do for our meal times or when we're at church to close a service. Prayer is a daily habit, a habitual thing that we do so that we can have our hearts open to God and that we can hear from God what God is calling us to do. Prayer is a powerful thing. And this is what Nehemiah did. He demonstrated. And this is why he was able to respond to the king the way that he did. In verse 3, he says this, as he said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city and the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I think for us to take a hold of the opportunities God has given us to see the things that we've been asking to come to pass, we have to make prayer a part of our daily life and be bold enough to act when the time comes. If you're in prayer about the thing that you've been, that's been burdening your heart, God is going to open up an opportunity for you. But in that moment, you need to be bold enough to speak up, to act up, to do the thing that God is speaking to you in prayer to do. Boldness, our boldness comes from intimacy with God and knowing His heart, doesn't it? Because intimacy with God not only shows us His heart, but He shows us who we are in Him. He shows us our identity. And when you know who you are in Christ, there's nothing that can stop you from fulfilling the will of God in your life. But when other people's words and thoughts and, and opinions of you matter more than what God says about you, or you listen to them more than when you listen to God's voice about you, that will stop you and fear will always keep you in your place. And so in prayer, that's where we hear the voice of God speaking to us, saying you're a child of God, you're a son of God, you're a daughter of God. And those things embolden us. They help us do and take action when we feel God leading us. So not only had Nehemiah been praying for four months, but he also in that moment stopped and asked for wisdom and favor. Then he spoke up, and when he did, he knew what God had called him to do. And I believe this happened because of prayer. It doesn't tell us what Nehemiah prayed, but he went from broken and burdened and hurting and disappointment to having an action plan within a four-month span. And all we know that he was doing is praying and fasting during that time. I, I believe that God is creating opportunities for you and I to be a part of his plan to redeem the world, but our challenge is to take them when they arise. And when we prepare ourselves for them through prayer, we'll be able to seize every opportunity, to take hold of every opportunity that comes before us. And I think that there are moments that God has orchestrated opportunities for us, but we haven't paused enough to recognize them and pray even in that moment, saying, God, give me direction, give me wisdom. What am I supposed to do here? Like Nehemiah did that for us. He demonstrated 
even in those moments. But far, far too often, I think that we either jump right into it, thinking this is what it's going to be, and we jump in headlong without asking for wisdom and things get rocky, or we stay away from it. We don't even ask God because it's, it seems too big and too, too scary for us, and we never even approach it. And there, there's a, there's a middle, middle place there where God says, ask for wisdom and I'll give it to you. Nehemiah, he didn't know how God was going to restore Jerusalem. He just knew that God was going to do it. So he sought God daily and looked for opportunities to be a part of his solution. And this is what I believe God is speaking to us through this verse, this passage of Scripture this morning, that you can be a part of God's solution for the world if you will daily seek him and make yourself available. You can be a part of the solution. You don't have to be an innocent bystander. You don't have to be a person who stands in the shadows. And maybe that might sound comfortable for you, but there will be something in your life eventually that will break your heart so much that you're saying, I have to take action. Something has to be done. And it's in that moment when those things drive you to prayer, God will make you the solution to the problem. He will say, I will partner with somebody who is broken for the things that I'm broken for. If your heart is broken for the people who are lost and undone, those who are strung out on drugs and those who are being abused and used. If your heart will break for them, I'll make you the solution for them. What is your heart broken for this morning? What have you been praying for daily? What are you asking God to redeem or restore or heal in your life? It could be that very thing that you're praying for, that God is going to use you to bring the solution, to bring his peace, to bring his love, to bring his restoration, to bring his healing. I believe it with all my heart. God is willing to do it because he is wanting to partner with us and say, I saved you for something. I saved you for a reason. Nehemiah had one prayer that God would restore Israel. And when the opportunity came, he saw the moment and he was prepared for it. This is why he was able to answer the king in verse 7. If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to build beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of God was upon me. What I think is powerful, I didn't even put this in my notes, but I just saw it when I read it right now. That Nehemiah wasn't looking for a short-term fix. He wasn't looking for a quick fix in the, uh, of the problem. He told the king, give me timber to build the walls and secure the temple, but also for the house, because I plan on staying here until this thing is resolved, until these walls are built. I never saw that. Just tell right now. I, I, I plan to be here. I'm not going anywhere. Some of us need to have that kind of resolve. That this problem is not going to make me run. This situation that I'm in, I'm not going to hide from. I'm going to build my house right in the middle of the ruins until God moves and does what he said he's going to do. Come on, somebody. I think that over those four months of prayer and fasting, God gave Nehemiah this vision. And Nehemiah began to create a plan. I think that in prayer, God was speaking to him and began to cause him to dream about what could be and what it could be like. And I believe that God wants to do the same thing for us. I believe that God 
when we are in prayer, will begin to show us the way he wants things to go and what we can do about it. I believe he can speak to you in your prayer time and tell you, this is the problem. I know it. I see it. Here's how I think you can solve it. Here's how I'll partner with you to make this thing possible. I think a lot of times we use prayer as an excuse not to act. Have you ever had anybody? They're in a situation. James talks about this. He's saying if you go to someone who's, who's naked and hungry and you say, oh, I'll pray that you get food and you're, you're clothed, that's an excuse for not acting. Has anybody, you've asked somebody, hey, you that got going, something going on in their life? And you say, hey, well, have you prayed about it? Yeah, I prayed about it, but uh, I'm not really feeling it, so I guess I'm just not going to do anything. No. I, I think that, that, that prayer has to be coupled with action. There has to be things that partner together. Prayer and action. We do it together. It's made to be done together. I'm not going to just pray for you. I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to serve you. I'm not going to just pray about the situation. I'm going to pray about the situation and I'm going to act on the situation. We're going to do both so that we can have the plan of God in our life. I believe as believers in Christ, we are called to pray and to plan. Pray and plan. In your prayer times with the Lord, ask him, God, give me direction. What should be happening in this situation? This is a situation that's going on in my life. What should be done about it? Take a pen and paper in there because you're believing that God's going to give you a plan of action. I know that there are some times that we feel like all we can do is pray because the moments are so heavy. And I'm not trying to make light of those moments. But I think that specifically, even in those times when you feel like all you can do is pray, you can plan out what you would like to see happen in that situation. If there's something going on at work and there's, there's issues at home or there's, begin to pray and ask God, this is what I want it to look like. God, would you, I believe that you can make these things happen and list out, God, I'm believing you for these things. I'm believing it. And then ask God, how do I fit in this picture? What is something that I can do right now in this moment to act in faith that you're making these things work? Amen? I believe so often we go to our prayer time and the moment we feel release, we walk away thinking it's done. I don't think so. I think God is saying, will you still pursue me even if you don't feel the burden? Will you still seek me even if you're not, your heart is not broken? Will you still pursue me even when you feel like things are getting easier again? I think sometimes the enemy will lift his hand off of you, will try to relieve some of the fire that he's been putting you under just so that you would not feel the tension and be drawn closer to God. I think in those moments, like Nehemiah, we continue to press on until we see what we're wanting to see done. Until we know that God is going to move and do what God said he was going to do. Scripture doesn't tell us that Nehemiah prayed, what he prayed during those four months, but he came out of that prayer time with an action plan. And when the opportunity came, he took hold of it. I believe that you and I can do the same thing this morning. I believe that you and I can do the same thing this morning. I believe that God is wanting you. He's wanting to give you an opportunity to partner with Him to fulfill His will in the world. Starting first in your life. I think this morning, if you've never had a relationship with Jesus, you've never given your heart to Jesus, then that first step to partner with God 
and taking hold of that opportunity, every opportunity that he's given you is by being in relationship with him. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never said yes to following him, then your first step is to do that this morning. Saying, God, I want to partner with you. I want to know what direction I should be going in. I want to be walking in new life. I don't want to continue to do the same old habits and be bound up by the same old things. The first step you have to do is submit and surrender to him. You do that by saying, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life. I want to seize this opportunity for new life. That's the opportunity he first gives every person. The opportunity to know him. The opportunity to walk in newness of life. And I believe prayer prepares our heart to overcome that fear. I think a lot of people who don't say yes to Jesus in the moments, especially in churches, because of fear. What, what will people think sitting next to me? What will people say about me? Will he make me come up front? Will he make all of these things? What will happen? Do you know prayer and preparing your heart will help you overcome that fear? So this is what I want to do before I give you a chance to say yes to Jesus. I want to just pray right now that God would prepare our hearts. Would you close your eyes with me as we pray this, that Lord, right now, begin to prepare our hearts the hearts of those who are calling into relationship, who you're calling right now to, into relationship with you. God, I pray that you would give them boldness, that you would give them courage to push past fear and follow you today, surrendering their lives to you today. Jesus, you are giving the greatest opportunity that any person could have by giving the opportunity to know you. Begin to prepare hearts right now in this moment. Amen. I think for some of us who've, who are young in our faith, we've accepted the opportunity to know Christ and to, to walk with Jesus. I think that God is still creating opportunities for you as well. I think that God is still creating space for you to take hold and walk in the fullness of what He's promised you in your life. Maybe those opportunities or to see your kids come to know Jesus, or your neighbors, or your friends, or your co-workers. Maybe he's calling you to take action on something that's been weighing on your heart. I would encourage you to pray for wisdom on how God is calling you to take hold of this opportunity, any opportunity that arises. And that in prayer, you would begin to take hold of the opportunities that God is making for you. I would encourage you, if you've not made prayer a part of your daily habit, getting alone with God so that not only can you lift your burdens to Him and your worries and concerns, but that you could also hear from Him what He's speaking to you, I would encourage you to begin to do that. That's going to develop you as a, as a follower of Jesus. That's going to mature you as a follower of Jesus. That has to be a part of your daily habit of walking with Christ. It's like no matter what happens, this is what I do first. I get alone with God. I seek His face. I lift my burdens to him. I wait to hear what he's going to speak to me. Because in those moments, he's going to help you be the solution to the very problem you're facing. I believe it. I believe it. And to those who've been walking with Christ and who have been praying daily and seeking God, maybe for months or for years for things, don't give up. Don't give up. If you've seen victories, I'd ask that you would challenge yourself to see bigger victories those who've been following Christ for years and you know that God is faithful and you've seized opportunities that he's given to you, ask for bigger opportunities. 
Ask for greater things. That God would release to you a supernatural opportunity that you could take hold of in faith. Amen? It's not time to coast. It's not time to kick back and relax and say, I've done my part. No. It's time to take on bigger things for the kingdom of God. I believe that those who are senior elders and followers of Christ, and it doesn't matter your age, you might be following Christ for 40 years. God will use you to seize greater opportunities. And we need men and women who are saying, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. God's not through with me yet. I'm going to take bigger steps. I'm going to kick the devil in the face more times. I'm going to kick his teeth out a lot more times. I ain't done yet. I've seen God do it. He'll do it again. Amen. Man, we need to let our burdens drive us and keep us in prayer. Even when we feel like they're lifted. Sometimes we need that reprieve, but don't let that stop you from seeking the Lord until you see it with your eyes. Here's what I think will happen if we do that. I believe that God will make a way for those desires that he puts in our hearts to come to pass. Even out of the ruins and the rubble of our lives and the lives of others, God will make a way. I believe that he will. He's a way-making God. He's a promise-keeping God. And he will do it if we'll stay faithful. I, th- I believe that when we begin to take action and we take hold of this word, we'll take a hold of all the opportunities that God has given us and we'll begin to plan out. We'll begin to prayer in our prayer time because we've been praying and seeking God and He's already making a way for us. I believe that if we'll continue to pray and ask God to give us a vision of what He's wanting us to do and how He's calling us to respond in that moment, I believe we will see our loved ones come to know Jesus. I believe we'll see our co-workers come to know Jesus, our neighbors come to know Jesus because we're being faithful and we're taking action. We'll see the problems and the injustices in our society and in our community begin to be addressed because God has placed a burden in our hearts and we're going to do something about it. There's so many things going on in our schools and in our streets with drug addiction and injustice and sex trafficking that need to be addressed. And I just need somebody to have a burden for it and say, God, I believe you can bring a change in this situation. And I, God, I believe that you can use me to be a part of that solution. We need people who will just rise up. You're saved for something. You're saved for a purpose. Not just from something, for something. And I'm challenging you, I'm challenging you this morning to take action as you seek the Lord in prayer. I believe if we do that, we'll be the church. The church will be the church that God has called us to be. Being light in dark places helping the hurting, restoring the lost and the broken. Amen.